Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at hopehogesville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. So let's read these words together. Job chapter 5, verse 8 through 13. But as for me, I would seek God, and I would place my cause before God, who does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. He gives rain on the earth and sends water on the fields, so that he sets on high those who are lowly and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the plotting of the shrewd, so that their hands cannot attain success. He captures the wicked by their own shrewdness, and the advice of the cunning is quickly thwarted. Job was reflecting on these things about God and um, trying to resolve in his heart that he would seek God and trust God to plead for his case, and he was trusting that God is a God who does great and unsearchable things, and Job is testifying with his heart that he sees that God is a God who uh, does wonders without number, and God is also a God who stops the wicked in their tracks. Sometimes wicked people plan and scheme things that Uh, that would cause us great harm, and sometimes God puts a stop to that, and he causes them to be frustrated in their plans. Today, I think we see a little bit of an example of that in what God does for Peter and uh, the church. So let's take a look at that in Acts chapter 11, or Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 1, and walk through that story together. Acts chapter 12, verse 1 says this. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. Let's just pause there for a second. Uh, First of all, uh, Herod the king uh, was arresting people that were belonging to the church, and he arrested James, the brother of John. Now, you might remember In Matthew chapter 4, we read about Jesus selecting the first disciples. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, it says, Now Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So two fishermen that he called, and Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So Peter and Andrew, fishermen, 
called by Jesus. And then in verse 20, it says, Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So the first four disciples were Peter and Andrew and James and John, followers of Jesus Christ's disciples. We've read a lot about the disciples in Scripture. And you read the Gospels and you read how the Lord they walked with Jesus and uh, spent so much time with Christ. But here in Acts chapter 12, we see James, uh, the end of James's ministry on this earth. So it's kind of a contrast between what happens with James and what happens with Peter. But let's not forget, uh, in context, the entire life of Peter, because it's not long from now that Peter will also meet a similar end. He was crucified, uh, and we remember that he requested to be crucified upside down. Uh, But in this case, in this moment, the Lord rescues Peter. So there are times when God rescues his people for the sake of continuing the ministry that God is doing through those people for a season. But then there are times when the Lord says that it's time to be done with your work here on this earth. And one good thing to remember is that, uh, that it is appointed unto man once to die. As scripture tells us that we are all looking forward to that time when the Lord says, our time is up on this earth. But ultimately, it's in the hands of God to choose when and how. And in this case, James meets his end. Let's read a little bit about that. It says, James, the brother of John, and this is in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. James, the brother of John, uh, and he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter. So he killed James by putting him to death, and it made the Jews happy. Uh, and you remember the Jews all along, these were, these were people that they, they believed in God. They thought they were honoring God with their lives. They thought they were faithful to the Lord. After all, they were God's chosen people. And they were seeking to be obedient to the law of God, or at least in religion, they were trying to give the appearance of obedience to God's law. Uh, In many cases, they really didn't honor God with their hearts. They didn't really desire a relationship with God, their creator. They just wanted the promise of God. They just wanted what God could give, and they wanted to be special. And so they wanted to give the appearance of some, by way of some version of self-righteousness, they believed they were right with God, but they weren't. They had missed their Savior. They missed Christ. They had rejected Christ. They looked for the Christ, but when Jesus the Nazarene came, who was the Christ, they crucified him and considered him to be a blasphemer, not actually the Christ. And so the Jews hated the Christians, those who were followers of Jesus the Christ. And so when the when Herod the king proceeded to kill more of the Christians, just like Paul was doing, or Saul at that time, uh, they rejoiced and they got excited about it. And because it made the Jews happy, the king thought, well, I can do more of this. It'll make my people happy. Dragging out Christians and getting more of my 
you know, unifying the kingdom because he had kind of a division within his kingdom. He had Jews and Gentiles and, and Greeks and, and uh, uh, Jewish people of Jewish origin that were all pulled together in his kingdom, but yet they were divided by religion and by, by culture. And he thought, well, if I can kill Christians and, and that unifies my people, then that's a good thing. So it made the Jews happy. So he thought, well, I'm going to arrest Peter as well because Peter is kind of a leader amongst these Christians. And so he had Peter arrested. Verse 4, when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him. That's a lot of soldiers. All right. So he said, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm going to reinforce the prison system here with a whole lot of soldiers to make sure this guy doesn't get out and nobody gets in to get him out. All right. And so let's read more of what happens. Intending that after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. Now we're going to come back to that fervent prayer that was being made by the church. And on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, this is in verse 6, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. Uh, now, that's kind of an interest, interesting uh, statement, kind of an interesting fact that is recorded there. It's believed by tradition that when people were held in prison, especially important people, they would attach a chain to the right hand of the prisoner. And then with the other end of the chain, they would chain it to the left hand of one of the guards, giving the guard the freedom to use his right hand, to use his sword, or to uh, restrain the prisoner if, if need be. So they would have one prisoner, or one guard that was chained to the prisoner at all times to make sure, make added precaution to make sure that the prisoner did not escape. But in this instance, he makes the statement that there were two soldiers and Peter was bound by two chains. There's not a lot really said here in scripture about this, but it's implied and it's believed that Peter was chained by both arms, one arm to one guard and the other arm to the other guard. And he was, and they were in the cell with him presumably behind some kind of a cell door. And outside the door, there were squads of soldiers to make sure that they did not escape. So you can kind of imagine the scenario in which they were trying to make sure that Peter did not escape prison. All right, so it's very secure. Now I'm going to go back to verse 5. Meanwhile, all this has taken place. Peter's been arrested. He's been placed in jail. He's been chained up. The uh, the king has reinforced everything to make sure that he did not escape. Meanwhile, the church was praying. It says uh, that Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. Now, that word fervently means earnestly or urgently. They were because of the urgency of the moment because they knew that Peter most likely was going to be executed very soon. They were praying because of the urgency of this moment, and they were persevering through the difficulty of that prayer, and they were uh, earnestly, fervently praying to God for Peter's release. So they desired 
very zealously that God intervene in this scenario and find a way, make a way for Peter to be released from prison and restored back to their fellowship. They didn't know how God was going to do that. They didn't know if it was possible. They knew that if they knew that it would be impossible for them to help Peter. And they knew that it was impossible for Peter to help himself in this scenario, but they knew that it was not impossible for God. And so they fervently prayed for God to intervene. Some people would call that intercessory prayer. That's when you pray on behalf of someone else. You're praying for someone else. There are a lot of different ways to pray. We pray for ourselves. We pray for God to uh, intervene on our own behalf. We pray prayers of confession. We confess where we have sinned against God and we ask the Lord to help us to repent. Uh, We pray um, uh, prayers of thanksgiving where we give thanks to God for the things that we see that God has provided for us and that he's given to us. Uh, We pray prayers of praise. We praise the Lord and worship God for just simply proclaiming his goodness, much in the same way that we sing these songs. In a lot of way, when we sing these songs, these are prayers of praise. We are praying to God and praising the Lord in that way. Uh, We pray for other people in the same fashion. We pray that God would help them to repent of their sins. We pray that God would lead them to confess their sins. We pray that God would lead them to see uh, the goodness of God in their lives, that they would give thanks to the Lord. We pray that God would help them to see his grace and lead them to praise the Lord and to not just have joy in their heart that's provided by the Holy Spirit of God, but to rejoice with their words and with their voices and with their, um, with their actions, that it will become evident in their lives. And so we pray for one another in this way. And then we pray for our own difficult circumstances, that God would help us, rescue us from difficult things, show us mercy and show us grace and show us help and hear our prayer. And then we pray those kinds of prayers for other people. So there are many ways that we can come to God in prayer. And I would just like to remind uh, everyone here, as much as I remind myself, that God has invited us to pray that way. God's invited us to come to him with our needs and with our hearts and ask and praise and give thanks and make the request and even um, bemoan the difficulties of life at times. Even if, like Job, we have to come to God and say, things are not good. And even to say, God, why did you do this to me? What are you doing? I don't understand it, and I don't like it. I think it's okay for us to come to God that way, as long as it doesn't turn into a bitterness against God or a hatred toward God or an anger with God. As long as we humbly come before God, express those things, and then say, God, I need you. I need you. And I think the church was fervently, in this case, they saw a need of a brother in Christ, a faithful minister, one of their pastors, and they came together and in the house of Mary, and they prayed, and they did not stop praying. They fervently prayed for God to intervene. Now, let's see what takes place 
after this. So he was chained up. Let's look at verse 7. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. Now, I'd like to pause there for a second. Um, Here in the cell, the angel appears, a light shines, and he has to strike Peter on the side and tell him to wake up. Now, I don't know about you, but if it was the night before my execution, I don't think I'd be sleeping that well. Does that make sense? Right? And I imagine this was one of those situations where things were stressful, things have been intense for him. He probably needed sleep, but even in the middle of that exhaustion, like I probably would sleep very fitfully. And I probably would be thinking, these are my last hours. I don't really want to sleep. I want to be thinking about other things, maybe praying for business. In this case, there's not a lot for him to do, really. He's got his arms chained up, and he's laying in a cold cell and can't go anywhere. But maybe he could share the gospel with the, um, with the soldiers next to him. Presumably, he might have already done that. You know, he probably already had some conversations with his captive audience there in prison with him, right? He's probably... You know, on other occasions, we see of uh, the apostles that have been arrested, put in jail. They were singing songs and all these kind of things. This is kind of common. It's kind of strange to see the heart and the, the demeanor of the people that are in prison about to be executed. Singing songs, praying, sharing the gospel with the guards, sleeping. What does that say about the mindset and the, the heart of the individual that's been arrested? I think it speaks to the fact that there is some kind of a peace that the Lord had given them in that moment that gave them the ability to rest, gave them the ability to just kind of say, Lord, I'm in your hands and I am at your mercy. It's a peace that passes all understanding. And in this instance, God was with Peter. Peter was at peace. The Lord woke him up, sent an angel to wake him up, and he said, In verse 8, he says, And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that uh, that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. All right, so the angel wakes him up, tells him to get put your sandals on and put your cloak on. So at this point, he's not chained anymore. He's able to put his shoes on. He's able to put his jacket on. And, and the angel says, follow me. And he walks through the, the prison doors and out past the, uh, the prison guards. And uh, miraculously, all of this doesn't affect him. The chains don't affect him. The doors don't slow him down. The prison guards don't slow him down. He's just following the angel right out the door. And it's, it's so uh, uh, mysterious to him. He thinks he's dreaming or he thinks he's having a vision from God. The Lord's showing him something before his death. And this is what he says in verse 10. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along on one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. So he's leading him out. 
The gate of the city opens by itself, which is usually a very large gate that takes uh, several people to open. It opens by itself. Peter walks right through and the angel disappears. And so there he kind of come, you know, wakes up and realizes that, wait, this isn't a dream. Wait, this isn't just a vision. This is for real. That happened. And, uh, and then verse 10, it says, when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out, went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Now notice here that he's not giving the angel credit for saving his life. He's giving God credit. He immediately knew that it was God who rescued him. The angel was a servant of God. The angel was doing what God commanded the angel to do. He wasn't acting on his own will. He was acting on the will of God. The angel was sent by God to set him free. So it was the Lord who set him free. And it's good to remember when we're praying and when we're going through life and when we see God answer prayer or when we see God do something miraculous in our life or simply see that God helps us on a day-to-day basis to recognize that things that happen for our good, they're not just coincidence. They didn't just happen. And it wasn't just the church that came to help us, or it wasn't an angel that came to help us. It was the Lord that came to help us in our time of need. And I think it's good for us to remember that we should see all circumstances like that. And he recognized that in that moment. And then verse 12, it says, and when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Now remember the church was praying. The church was praying all along. In verse 5, it says that, the pr- that prayer for him was being made fervently by the church. And the Lord led him to go to the house where all the people were praying for him. Now, I think this was kind of a common gathering spot for uh, the apostles and for uh, the followers of Jesus Christ and this particular pocket of the body of, of Christ. They were gathering at Mary's house. And uh, so he showed up, and what's interesting here is that when they first heard that he was there, they didn't really believe it. They were like, no, no, that's not possible. He's chained up in prison. Peter can't be at the door, right? So let's read and see what happens. So many were gathered together praying, and uh, in verse 13, when he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and announced that Peter was standing at the front gate. So she got so excited. And then when she heard his voice outside the gate, she, was, she got excited and just ran inside and uh, left him standing there at the gate. And then she went and told him, hey, he's at the gate, but they didn't really believe her. Let's read and keep reading. It says, Left him standing at the front gate, verse 15. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that this was so. She was, she said, this is Peter. But she kept insisting that this was so. They kept saying, it is his angel. They thought maybe he had already been killed. It's hard to know what they meant when they said, we believe that it is angel. They thought maybe it was his ghost. 
maybe it was the spirit of Peter, or maybe it was Peter's guardian angel or something like that. Um, so they weren't really sure what to think of that. And so uh, verse 16, it says, Peter continued to knock at the gate. And when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. And I think this is a really good example of a story where God does answer prayer. God shows us that he answers prayer and he shows us that he does come to our aid and he does work in prayer. And they were amazed. They were captured by the fact that Peter actually was standing at their doors, completely surprised. In verse 17, it says, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent because the Christian church was being persecuted at this time. Uh, They were hiding in Mary's house. This is why they weren't meeting in a public place. They were hiding in Mary's house. They were huddled together praying all night long, most likely all weekend long for him to be uh, released from prison. And uh, he motioned to them to be silent so that nobody would hear that he was there. And he described to them how the Lord led him out of prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. Now, this is obviously not James, the brother of John. This is a different James. Uh, There's a little debate as to which James it is. It could be James, the brother of Jesus, um, which would be the James that most likely wrote the book of James in the Bible. All right. Uh, So James uh, report these things to James and the brethren. Then he left and went to another place. We'll read the rest of those verses next week. So he gets to him and he says, report all these things to the brethren. He told his story about how the Lord led them out. Now, a few things that I'd like to just kind of land on this morning as we look at this example of God doing great things and the Lord using his church. Uh, One is the question, you know, does God use prayer and is prayer important for us as a church? And the answer to that is yes, it is very important for us to pray. And yes, God does use prayer. Now, I believe that God does what God wants to do. If God wanted to set Peter free, he could have set Peter free with or without the prayers of the church. God can do whatever he wants. However, the question is, would God have set Peter free without the prayers of the church? We don't know that. But what I believe, I believe that it was the Lord's will to set Peter free with the prayers of the church. And we see over and over and over and over again throughout Scripture, God leading his people to pray and God responding to prayer and God using prayer to work on behalf of God's people and on behalf of the world around us. God uses prayer to save people, to save lives, and to intervene on our behalf. On, in fact, in the book of Acts, we've already read several instances where the church gathered together and prayed. That first thing they did in the upper room when they were short an apostle, because Judas betrayed Jesus and was and um, and uh, and was killed and killed himself. They needed a twelfth apostle, and so they prayed. God gave them Matthias, and then they needed servants in the church, and they gathered together and they prayed, and God gave them the um, this, the seven men, the servants that they appointed to help serve the church. Stephen was one of the which, and there and there were other occasions where they prayed, and we're going to continue to see that. But God does use prayer. 
the, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. That's that fervency and urgency in prayer. The faithfulness in prayer, God says, does accomplish much. It gives the idea and the impression that we can move the immovable hand of God. It gives the feeling of that, especially when you, you read about Moses. God was going to kill all the people because of they were worshiping the golden calf. God says, I'm going to kill them all and start over again. And Moses prayed for the people, for God to show compassion, to be merciful. And God, God chose to show compassion and be merciful. It gave the impression that by prayer, Moses could move the immovable hand of God. Now, can we move the, the immovable hand of God? No, we cannot manipulate God and we cannot command God and we can't tell God what to do. If we get the idea that we can do that or use prayers as some form of a magical incantation and magic spell where we say the right things and God will do what we want him to do, then we've gotten the wrong idea about prayer. It's become some form of a mystical experience that is totally not Christianity. It's become paganism and the occult. All right. So don't do that. But um, when we pray, we need to recognize that God's hand is immovable. But... God tells us to pray, and we need to pray in faith, believing that God hears our prayer and God will respond to our prayer. So it's, it's kind of a, a little bit of a paradox, a little bit of a mystery. We don't really know how the two go hand in hand, but they do. God uses prayers. That's part of his will. Some people say, well, if God's in control, God's sovereign, God makes his own decisions, God saves who he wants, and God leads who he wants, God, God rescues who he wants, so it doesn't really matter if I pray or if I don't pray, God's going to do what he wants, right? God does what he wants. But when we pray, we're being obedient to the Lord, and God is using us in his will, and we are part of God doing what he wants. He doesn't want to set Peter free without the prayers of the church. And then also, why would you want to skip out on the blessing of being part of praying for the church and seeing God answer the prayers and set Peter free? Wouldn't it have been a blessing to have been in the upper room that day or been in that room where they were all gathered together praying for Peter and then to see Peter show up at the door and hear that testimony? Wouldn't it have been awesome to be part of that group of people? To be, to be blessed with the knowledge that God used your prayer to rescue one of your brothers in the faith. There's a blessing in being part of being used for God's will. That's one of the, be, praying is not just about getting what we want. Praying is about being part of, being in relationship with God. Being part of what God is doing. Being part of God's will. Being part of God's um, work. Job chapter 5, verse 8. And as we read this, just like to encourage you to consider that this could be the prayer of our heart, should be the assurance of our heart as well. But as for me, I would seek God and I would place my cause before God. Who does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. Pray that God would assure you that he is a God who does great and unsearchable things and wonders without number. 
that God would remind you of that and keep that in your heart and your mind. And when you pray that you would remember that, remember that he is a God who can do unsearchable and great things. Pray that God would give you that faith and then seek the Lord and ask the Lord to plead your cause. I'd like to read this. It's a little excerpt from the um, prayers of the uh, collection of Puritan prayers and devotions. He says this in regards to prayer. In prayer, all my worldly cares, fears, anxieties disappear and are as uh, little significance as a puff of wind. In prayer, my soul inwardly exults with lively thoughts at what thou art doing for thy church. And I long that thou shouldst get thyself a great name from sinners returning to Zion. In prayer, I am lifted above the frowns and flatteries of life and taste heavenly joys, entering into the eternal world. I can give myself to thee with all my heart to be thine forever. In prayer, I can place all my concerns in thy hands to be entirely at thy disposal, having no will or interest of my own. In prayer, I can intercede for my friends, ministers, sinners, the church, thy kingdom to come with greatness, with greatest freedom, ardent hopes as a son to his father, as a lover to the beloved. Help me to be all prayer and never to cease praying. Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24-26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.